This is Strange Assembly, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast. This is the second of two interview episodes that we recorded at Gen Con in August 2010. This interview is with Brian Reese and Mark Wooten, the lead designer and lead developer of the Legend of the Five Rings card game. Unfortunately, the audio quality for this interview did not turn out as well as I would have hoped, so I apologize in advance for that, but here it is. I'm Chris Stevenson. Nobody else is here because I scrubbed out of the main event and they're still playing. Uh, but here with me are Brian Reese, the lead designer for the Legend of the Five Rings card game, and Mark Wooten, the lead developer. Hey, guys. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I'm Brian. The guy that you won't be able to understand is Mark. Yeah, just two more scrubs. <laughs> yeah, just two more scrubs. Uh, for people who don't know, what exactly are the roles of a lead developer and a, a lead designer? Well, lead designer is easy. I design the cards... I uh, I do all the work. Uh, is basically what it comes down to. I kind of criticise him, keep him in order, m- make sure he doesn't get too big for his boots. You know, just make sure the standard of his work is okay. And <laughs> we work, we work, we work together. We work cooperatively on a lot of things. Uh, a, a lot of things about that. Well, that, that's good. I was going to say because if your job was to criticise Brian, I don't think they have to pay people to do that. <laughs> no, no. And actually, I'd be really quite worried because there'd be a big queue of people behind me wanting my job, you know. So, uh, but but fortunately, because it involves working with Brian, there's actually nobody behind me who wants my job. So that's okay. <laughs> See what I have to put up with. You See what I gotta work. I hate it. <laughs> We're here at. Gen Con, the, I think the qualifiers over the last two days have been the biggest Gen Con grinders ever, or at least the first one was. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. It was 195 for the first one. Yeah. Something like that. That's huge. I didn't hear what the Friday one was, but uh, 195 plus. It, it was about 150. And there were, there were certainly 30 or so players in the, um, Invitational. So on the first day, we had 225, 230 players. Yeah, I think the the second grinder was something like if you took the number of people in the second grinder plus the number of people who qualified on Thursday, it was about the same same as the Thursday Thursday grinder was. So we've got about 109 people qualified. Yeah, it was somewhere in that. I I think you've got the number for the main event today. I didn't see how big the, the second chance was. I didn't catch the number either before we left, but that's, uh, it's pretty big as well, so. Yeah, but so w- one of the questions I had prepared was that it seemed like there had been more complaining about Celestial Edition that there had been about Samurai and whether or not that was reflected in the tournament numbers or burns, but apparently not. <laughs> no, and in <laughs> fact, um, I mean, I, I've been working with uh, Nico, Nicolas Bongu, yes, who's um, uh, based in France, um, and he's been doing a lot of work with the Mega Game, and we have. Uh, Obviously, one of the one of the key things in the mega game was uh, clans making it attendance targets, which we we based on the previous year's Kotai. So, so we we had pretty good information um, on Kotai attendance this year, and uh, it was up. It was you know reasonably significantly up. Yeah. So uh, you know we 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 have sort of absolute hard evidence that actually, you know, the game is going up. And yeah, I definitely not in the other direction. So well, we tend to get a lot more than I got in Samurai is. A lot of people come up to me and say, 
you know, we complain about it, and you hear complaints, but really like it, having a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Celestial is what it is. It, it has its fault, but for the most part, um, you know, you have such a wide variety of decks out there that pretty much somebody can have fun. I mean, one of the larger complaints that I hear personally is my clan only has one playable deck. <laughs> and I'm pretty happy that we got to the point to where that's what is being complained about, is that I've only got one competitive deck that can win a tournament. Yeah, I uh, met yeah, Trevor. Trevor does that. I, I keep having to play the one really good Mantis deck. I went to play other really good Mantis decks too. It was at the uh, the Mantis dinner <laughs> that I came. It wasn't Trevor, uh, but it was one of the other uh, Mantis players. I mean, our goal has always been that, that every clan will have three or four competitive decks. But that you know, the, that's what that's what we're shooting for, and that's what we will continue to shoot for. Right? We're never going to be happy with it, happy with what we do. Uh, I think we're both, to some some degree or another, perfectionists about what we're trying to achieve, and we're never going to be happy unless we achieve that kind of nirvana. But at the same time, you, you know, if you put it in context, effectively, that's aiming for sort of thirty-six completely even and playable decks, and uh, plus enlightenment, plus enlightenment, <laughs> which isn't counted. Um, yeah, so it, it it would be pretty che- difficult to achieve that. But as long as every clan has got a shot, and ideally, if they've got a couple of different ways of doing that, that would be, yeah, that would be great. Now, with the, uh, although there have been overall high attendance numbers, I mean, one thing that we noticed before we left the main event is that only three people were playing Crane out of those 109 in in the main, and certainly there were a lot of complaints from the Crane player base at the start of, well, for a while, I mean, I guess this year, but especially when, Plague War was was previewed. How much of that low attendance do you think is attributable to actual poor deck strength in the crane, and how much to perception, or, or do you think that's causing that? Um, I mean, as everything, it, it's a mix. Uh, perception is reality, and there's no doubt that there's the perception out there that crane can't win. Um, though the very last tournament before Gen Con was the 80-something man tournament in Spain that crane won. Spanish cranes, man, you got to love them. They find a way to win whatever you do. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there's two in the top eights there. Uh, plus, there's one in the top eight uh, at the tournament in... It's not. It wasn't Seattle, but it was near Seattle. And then another one back in East. Uh, so, I mean, they're still putting up pretty decent numbers. Uh, I got a crane deck built myself, and I was actually just uh, playing some games uh, before I came over. I got Spider Breeder, I got Scorpion Dishonor. And... Um, you know, won all the games pretty soundly. And I mean, I mean, you know, you go back to the Plague War, but I mean, I was over at your place at Christmas and had the crane deck with me. And I mean, you're a local lion player who reckons to beat upon cranes fairly regularly. And actually, just beat correctly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, even back at that point, when when the cranes were saying, I mean, I think I won just about every game with that crane deck. At, yeah, uh, up at Christmas. So I mean, there is no doubt that uh, some significant honor meta came out in the in the Plague War. Um, IG3 um, put out some really good tools for the crane. Empire at War is putting out even some more and re-bringing back that stronghold that everyone forgot about, Seven False Palace, <laughs> with uh, the two new uh, courtiers. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff coming. I, I really, really don't think they're at the level that people think that they're at. Uh, I think they are better than what they think, but perception's reality. And, and that doesn't mean they're exactly where we want them to be either. I mean, I no, think absolutely. You, 
you know, I think I, I think there's always that medium between what people are saying, yeah. because I think it's it, you know it tends to it it, it it tends to sort of you know one comment or one series of perceptions feed the other. So um, I think Crane has to work quite hard at the moment, and I think you have to play quite hard with a Crane deck to to work for your victories, and uh, I think that's certainly true. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they yeah, are not where we want them. I think. Uh, Empire at War kind of shows that we've been, we've given them a shot in the arm to, uh, bring them back up to a better place. Um, but again, they're not as bad as the perception uh, gives them, in my opinion. But perception's reality, and you get top players, uh, who would be playing Crane, and they don't think they can win with Crane, so they switch to Clan X, and that's where you get. I mean, Three crane players and the a good example of that was during the Kotai season. I think when uh, when we went to the Dublin Kotai because everybody was saying Scorpion Dishonor couldn't win anything, mm -hmm. and you you went along with the Scorpion Dishonor deck and Daruk went along with the Scorpion Dishonor deck. And yeah. I mean, at the end of the Swiss, one of you was seven and zero, and the other was six and one. And the only game that the two <laughs> either of the two of you lost was in the head-to-head -head game that you had in the last round, yeah. which was which was pretty much a coin flip. Um, but but um, you know, so. Uh, you know, and everybody was saying Scorpion is not viable yet. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that was the biggest cote in North America. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, Scorpion were, were first and second after Swiss or whatever. So, you know, I think the truth always lies somewhere between the, the sort of fairly strong opinion and, um, and, and the more moderate opinion. Yeah, well, I think that there's an argument to be made. I know, I don't know if you have, Mark. I know, Brian, you have at least looked at at some point in time those statistics that I have yeah. kept up about what the the numbers are and you can talk about uh, attaining you know unachievable goals with with the 36 I mean ideally you'd have this sort of very even balance between we everything but I, there is an argument to be made that there's always going to be a outlier above and an outlier below because as soon as one clan is perceived by good players as being clearly weaker, maybe not that much weaker, but clearly weaker or clearly stronger, they're going to gravitate towards the stronger one and produce an outlier to the high and they're going to gravitate away from that mm -hmm. lower one and so yeah. you know something like Scorpion then or maybe Crane now ends up looking even worse than it than it otherwise would because yeah the, the the good players who are the ones who would make who you know could maybe make the cut with that anyway but would have a harder time winning uh yeah. just jump away from it no absolutely i mean uh chris nickel and chris russell are two of the best crane players in the world and i know right now they're not playing crane in the main event um so that's just an example of what you're talking about the perceived weakness of the crane is having the some of the top crane players in the field uh, gravitate towards a different, and it, not saying that they just go off the internet forums of perception. They didn't do you know the thorough testing themselves, but you know just that's the type of things that yeah exactly. So even when everything is perfect, some perception is going to sway the uh, sway the numbers. Okay, now something else that went on at Gen Con this year is that we saw the sort of initial shipment sales of of Battle of Cute and Tonbow, and that, I think, was mostly gone by Thursday. I, I know I bought some stuff on Thursday, and I didn't see any. I don't think there was any yesterday afternoon when I was back at the 
No, I think the last couple, the last few boxes went Friday morning. I think we were, yeah. we were pretty much sold out by one or two boxes on. Yeah, Thursday. yeah, they sold out Friday morning. Like all, like yeah, they sold like ninety percent of it Thursday. The rest went Friday, and they actually they found like four more copies, but those lasted about thirty minutes. I didn't get a copy because they were gone. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I don't know if you guys could, wanted to to comment on anything that. Hasn't been talked about before, Hugh and Tombo. I think somebody uh, mentioned uh, deck, you know, it being useful as a deck box character. Or as a deck yeah, box. It, it, I mean, as a box, it carries six six decks. Yeah, um, we've, uh, we've created the the tray in there, so yeah, it'll carry six sleeve decks. Well, um, not something we'd really advertise at this point because we haven't actually seen the product, and I hate just saying, "Oh yeah, it should come out this way," and then you get it back before you actually get to see it and make sure that, okay, it is going to do what you're going to say it's going to do. Um, but, yeah, it looks pretty nice for carrying yeah. six sleeve decks in. Yeah. Um, it's a good little size. Uh, beautiful artwork, honey. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Oh, the artwork's fantastic. Matsuotsuka. Um, but just, yeah, all around the artwork on it. It's, it's nicely presented. Yeah, you got, yeah, Kenzo, it's just a gorgeous. Great value for money in terms of the cards that are in there. I mean, uh, well, I mean, we posted that up on the website, some of the cards that you can find in there, so I'm just, in terms of uh, singles, and and what we're really hoping is that you know experienced players will want to buy it because it's, it gives them good access to some key cards, um, and the, the, but they're having bought it, they'll they'll be in a really good position to maybe teach teach somebody new in their local area to play, um, and also you know it's a great investment for a new player, and so it's you know it's a great investment if you, if you come into the game new to know that you're getting some fairly well sought after cards. As part of your learn to play experience, and yeah, we did. Uh, we did play test. A lot of people started to after training round one and two. Just you know, this is sort of while we call it learn to play, they just sort of come uh, to the idea that it's just for even though it's called learn to play, it's just for experienced players because we just put in all these uh, uh, good cards. And uh, while it's true to some extent, because you know the product does need to sell, it is a little bit this important. Uh, it, we did play test it as two independent decks. Um, you know, we we kept the decks uh, simple. Um, so, uh, if somebody, you know, your casual player, maybe they play the RPG and they don't really want to get into the CCG, but you know, they could buy a Battlecade and Tombow and just put, you know, play a game with their friends sometimes, uh, just with the pre-built decks that are in. Yeah, it. decks are fairly simple to play. They're they're, yeah. they're pretty well balanced. You know, we were getting. Fairly even results between the two decks, so it's a good product for somebody who just wants to maybe play the CCG casually and doesn't want it to get too complex and too in depth into the strategy. Or to learn the game, or to, or, yeah, or to learn the game. Yeah. The, the rule book is written very much from the perspective of, of you know trying to be very new user friendly. Yeah, I saw that there. I I saw one of the. I think they had opened up a battle at Kuhn and Tombo to do mm-hmm. demos at the the booth, and it was a. With some, it was a large formats, full yeah. color. Yeah. Yes. Full color. Yeah. Uh, more like I, don't, I think it's larger than the Samurai Edition rule books, but more that style. Yeah. It was the, yeah, it was the yeah. large. Book. Now you mentioned sales to existing players. One of the reasons that when I went in on Thursday, I didn't buy it immediately because I was buying other things and I wasn't sure if I was going to get that right away is because, unlike in prior Learn to Play sets. The Battle of Kudentanbo does not come with any new promo cards, which usually were included to help boost sales uh, amongst experienced players. And when that question was asked on the forums, Brian, you had responded that it wasn't fair to give Dragon and Lion 
an extra promo, but that hasn't stopped it before, and that hasn't stopped recent things like the the spider getting an, uh, a promo guy for their positioning in the the current mega game. So, what was different about Cute and Tonbo that didn't allow that? Uh, well, I mean, Chaozu was done back in past, so he's sort of been uh, planned in the environment for a while. It was just the distribution method that we chose to use. Um, but I mean, really, when you if we created, like, a brand-new, unique dragon, a brand-new, unique client, it changes the product for something that you want to have to something you have to have. Um, right now, it's a product that you might want to pick up because you want the cards. Uh, maybe you want to do the deck builder or the deck holders. Uh, you want to play with somebody else. For whatever reason, you want to buy the product, but you don't have to buy the product. So, I mean, that was sort of the difference. Um, you know, we just didn't want it to be a product that you were forced to buy. We wanted to make a product that you wanted to buy. Another thing that draws player complaints is the, the uh, Dishonor. And there's always players who are dis- who only want to play Dishonor. There are always players who hate to play Dishonor. But what, what are you planning on doing to try to improve that situation uh, with Dishonor, and in particular the kind of pain that is the Dishonor versus Honor matchup? Um, well, I mean, with the Dishonor, I mean, this is obviously one of the things we've analyzed quite a bit, because uh, it's always been that way. We've been trying to figure out, okay, what is it exactly? Um, in Samurai Edition, uh, you had the problem with, um, you know, the one guy, Takuro, and then all, but more. Uh, the bigger problem, the action card that made you lose three, which name I'm blanking on right now. Signing blame. Signing blame, blame, thank you. To where, you know, I come over, take your last province, and right before you win the game, I play an assigning blame or two, and you lose the game. Um, that's a really shitty way to lose. Uh, <laughs> and so. It's a technical yeah, term, is it? It's a technical term. Um, so, I mean, so we started addressing some of those problems, but there's, there's also others. Um, the fact that it's, an instantaneous win condition, I think, probably bugs some people. Um, the fact that it's restricted to just basically one clan, for the most part, bugs some people. And there's been some other things that we've been analyzing, and uh, we are making changes, pretty big changes, to how uh, Dishonor works in the next arc uh, to hopefully alleviate some of the issues. Because in the reality, it's... I mean, it's just the reverse. It, it should, in theory, just be the reverse of honor. Uh, just a mathematical number track to try to go along and reach the finish line. I mean, one of the one of the beauties of Legend of the Thorns is that it has four victory conditions. And it's one of the things that's challenging for us in the work that we do. Um, because I don't think there's many other CCGs out there that would, would try not only to have a balance among nine different factions, but actually have a balance among nine different factions with four different victory conditions. Um, so it is a challenge, and I think, I think any time you have that, you are always going to get certain matchups or certain kind of pairings in terms of things that people are trying to do within a, a, any particular game mechanic, um, which simply work in opposite directions to each other, and, and there's, you know, there's going to be a tendency for, for them to end up somewhere in the middle, i.e. stalemate. Um, but as long as you're aware of that, you can you can try and do things to to alleviate the problem. And if you give people the tools to deal with it, whether they choose to use them or not is a, is a separate issue, but you can give people the tools. So 
we've always we've always tried. And I'm not saying we've succeeded, but we, we, something we've talked about is that you know if you're playing an honor deck and you're against a dishonor deck and crossing forty is not going to be not going to be possible. You know, can we in some way give you the tools that would allow you to to, to perhaps start looking at alternative options? Which Brian has explored today with his yeah. honor deck against a dishonor deck where he won by military. Um, uh, so you know, there's, there's things like that you can design into into the system. Um, I think the other thing is that I, I mean the dishonor deck is significantly less generally of a bomb deck. It's, I mean, it, it, it's not the way it was in in Samurai, where y you could be seemingly doing really quite well and then just lose. And the, yeah, they play. Uh, uh, you, you know, the bomb would kind of go off and. You know that would yeah, be. They lose forty-seven honor in one turn. No, well, no. now you seem to have more of a you know, mini bomb. You attack and then you lose twelve. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It, but at least at that point, it's. I mean, yeah, it's. But it's more interactive at yeah, that point yeah. when you're fighting in a battle, going back and forth, and you get more options because naturally, uh, the game leans towards battle actions. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a scorpion dishonor from Samurai sitting in the action place and just playing, you know, three of the cards that increased all honor losses by one for the turn, and then you know, and then just bombing out with eighteen cards in their hand. And yeah, Dragon got to do that a little bit too in, in Samurai Edition, <laughs> and that was actually something that you mentioned during the L5 Archives hosted Q and A panel last night. Was that for the next base set, that making an effort to have. Dishonor be something that was not just restricted to Scorpion, so running Dishonor meta wouldn't just yeah, be. I'm running right. meta for uh, half the decks of one pack. Exactly yeah. right. I mean, if if if, if Dishonor is uh, it, it is a broader win condition, it actually makes dealing with it a more sensible strategy option when you go to build your deck. And there's other. I mean, we're exploring new ways to thematically make Dishonor work because yeah, you couldn't just suddenly. Uh, have crab, for instance, like okay, let's give him a dishonor deck, and it's like, well, how does that work? Uh, you know, it, it's got to fit the theme, and so that's what we've been trying to we with the story uh, for next arc. We've been working with them to try to make it work, um, and just find different ways. You know, dishonoring, uh, causing dishonor and honor loss to somebody else isn't something that just happens in court, like. If you do something and my magistrate comes and arrests you and drags you through the street, <laughs> you know, that's going to cause honor loss to your lord, and it doesn't have to do anything in the, in the courts to do that. So, uh, the, yeah, we're exploring to try to give uh, multiple clans the dishonor victory condition. There have been a number of uniques that have come out in Celestial Edition where people said, oh, he needed to have more force, and Brian, you've said that, oh, you know, you're unique, just because you're unique doesn't mean that you get better better stats, but you do seem to get better abilities, which, you know, overall makes you a better card, and then I think you you kind of said, okay, yeah, for Ochai, we really did just give her better stats, too. So, uh, what is, the, so I guess I was like, what's, what's, what's uh, oh, did you, I, I, I thought, that I, I, I remember you making a statement that I took to mean that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, Ochai is really good. Uh, <laughs> beyond just her, she's, she's yeah, yeah, her ability, but I guess, I mean, what is the, I mean, maybe I was thinking, but what, I mean, what's the Philosophy on uniques versus non-uniques. How how much better than a non-unique is a unique allowed to be? So we have spreadsheets and a, a program where we've figured out the general. It's I mean nothing set in stone, but the general guideline of where we want 
a personality to be. So, like, a samurai for eight gold is probably going to have, you know, being a 4-4 with a, a nifty ability, uh, you know, that's about, you know, that's about on par. And if they have a better ability, you know, they're going to pay a little bit more for that. Maybe they have a, 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 a keyword with a rulebook effect, like cavalry, tactician, um, naval, they pay a little bit more for that. And it's not all in one gold increment. Um, but, you know, maybe having naval on this guy ups his gold by... Point three or point, you know, half a gold piece, and then you give him a little extra. You know, he's a four five instead of a four four, so that costs a little bit more. Um, and so, you know, he might wind up co coming up costing nine instead of eight. Um, you know, so those types of things. And we just follow the exact same thing for uh, uniques. Um, but there has to be uh, the reality that not. Not everything's created equal, and sometimes we do intentionally for one reason or another, whether we think a clan needs a shot in the arm, whether this guy's going to do some really cool stuff in the story, and it's really cool to have good guys in your deck doing cool things in the story and having that all come together. Uh, there's various things that will make us uh, specifically say, okay, this guy should probably be a little bit better um, than what, they're, what uh, he would normally be. So those ten, the ones like Ochi, which I don't think, I mean, it, it's arguable whether she should cost ten or eleven, but I don't think she's too far off um, at worst. But there, there are outliers like uh, uh, Shinori would be a great example of one because uh, he, yeah, <laughs> he's a, uh, you know, he's a guy that there's no doubt he's undercosted, but it was done for very specific reasons uh, at the time it was done. But those are again the exceptions. They're not the rule. Uh, the new Mantis guy that you got in IG3, the naval, 4-4 four, four for 8, has a naval bow action. Um, you know, that's uh, you know that's a little bit more of the normal, fits right in the costing bracket um, that, we, that we shoot for. You're never going to let him look at that spreadsheet, are you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Something else that came up with the, the L5 archives, the discussion on site, is somebody had asked you about Border Keep, and I know that there had been some discussion by by players that, that maybe the the once-per-game ability on Border Keep made it a little too easy to be able to consistently access, uh, a, especially a really powerful, non-unique, but just to be able to get to... to really high-level uniques all the time. Uh, and I had been planning on asking about that, but you said uh, last night that you were very happy with Border Keep and have no intention of, of changing it. So I was wondering if there had been any internal discussion with you guys about whether or not that made things too consistent. Sure. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, yeah. yeah. We, 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 I, think, I think we did have that very specific conversation yeah, just to early be, on. Just to clarify what I said on the L5 archives thing, we're really happy with the Border Keep Bamboo Harvester system. Uh, it's very possible that next uh, next arc, it's a different border keep. Uh, card's still called border keep. It's experienced or whatever. We'd figure out some way to mechanically make it work. But it's different. Um, you know, we won't leave that off the table. But we, we really like the holdings that start in play system. Um, as for border keep itself, actually, I kind of like it. Yeah, we, we yeah, uh, yeah, we do discuss it, and 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 we did discuss that. I mean, that very issue that you raised. We, I, I can if you notice the, <laughs> the one card that's not dual bug from Glory of the Empire is the one that uh, was very similar to border keep. 
Yeah, yeah. The yeah. that was another house that exotic could. Yeah, that, that's the one. Yeah, yeah you destroy it and you you yeah. mulligan your provinces. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think Brian's right. The, it, it, it's the it's the border keep bamboo harvester system that I think we're really pleased with. Um, not necessarily absolutely keeping border keep or bamboo harvesters as they are, because. You know, I mean, I mean, what, why would you word yourself to saying that you're only going to do that? Because we might figure something else that's really cool, and, and just having a different way to start the game could be a great thing in a new arc. We, you know, I, we're not saying one way or the other. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that, that we're definitely doing one thing or the other. So I don't want to set any hairs hairs running here, but um, <laughs> uh, the, the, there is that there is that thing where um, you know you, you've got a good system in place. But you should always go back and look at it because there might be something cool or interesting or different that you could do. Yeah, well, I do think that uh, I don't. I haven't heard anyone opine that it should go back to something like Legacy, <laughs> where you had to, to shuffle repeatedly at the the start of the game. So, I, I, yeah, I think overall, even people who think it makes gives the decks too much consistency still think that that's far better than the the prior system that had been out there. And I mean, we've heard people talking about that in the. Um, general overall celestial work. Some people feel that guys like Kuan uh, are just too are too good. So you know we're listening to all those comments and those sort of all like if there wasn't Kuan to fish for, there wasn't you know those types of personalities to fish for. Um, you know then do your complaints about border keep go away. Uh, it's just something to think about. It's just nothing we need to analyze when we go to do the next arc and figure out what we did right with celestial, what we did wrong with celestial, and where the improvements are required. Uh, Since you mentioned Kuon, I mean, do you have an opinion on whether or not Kuon is, uh, I guess, uh, I'm using air quotes here, too good? When you hear people talk about strategy, all about like, okay, I have to include things in my deck just to see whether or not I can deal with this one unique card, and that that strikes me as a sign that it's not an optimal yeah. thing to have around, but... There's no doubt that Kuan's Kuan's good. Kuan's good. He's, he's the Crab Clan champion. Um, yeah, I mean, he's the Crab Clan champion. While we don't, you know, it, it, we don't want a deck where your only goal is to get to Kuan as fast as possible. Um, you know, there and the oh, I, by you know, what happened? Oh, I lost. Oh, how'd you lose? Oh, he flipped a turn to Kuan. Uh, you know, I've heard that uh, a couple times. That's that's obviously something that we don't. Uh, we're not happy with, um, but it is, uh, um, I mean, it is a reality of the game, and it's something, you know, something that we'll, uh, take a look at and see if, you know, made too strong. You know, the, the funny part about it is, I actually had to stick to my guns, because we, you know, in playtest, uh, get a lot of things right, not everything we get right, and we had... Very, some very adamant playtesters saying that he would be unplayable as he currently sits. Well, actually, even when he was previewed, uh, Kuang didn't receive that great a reception when he was previewed. Really? Yeah, they saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, I remember," because they wanted the same as they wanted the trait to be a reaction, uh, so you could choose when to use it instead of having to blow it on the first one. Yeah, it was the yeah. yeah. So we're kind of getting off on a, a little bit of a tangent here, but. Um, Kuan does what he's supposed to do, which is be the big, you know, badass crab champion that puts fear in your heart. 
Uh, there's no doubt about that. Is he too good? Uh, we, you know, we don't like the fact that people bemoan and have to face the, oh, I lost it, you know, my opponent flipped, go on, turn two, and I couldn't stop him, uh, type scenario, so. In, in any card game, there is an element of luck. Um, if you have good cards, um, and your opponent doesn't have their good or best cards, you know, you can, you can argue that, that, that would play the factor. I think, I think the reality is that by and large, it, it does even itself out over the course of a tournament. And, you know, sometimes as a crane player, you're going to draw that opening hand of, of, of jewels that you wanted or, you know, some sort of combination of cards. And sometimes the crap player is going to get an early coup on. Um, there's going to be a number of situations where that luck goes your way or goes against you. And, and sometimes you'll be able to beat the luck and sometimes you won't. Um, but I think the reality is that over, over the course of a tournament, um, you know, a good player with a good deck will win more games than they lose. And, uh, you know, I mean, okay, it's, it's, it's going to hurt somebody when, when it's the final, <laughs> you know, when they turn two Kuan or, or some equivalent, you know, turn one Uzumara, turn two Nazan or something like that. You know, yeah. Comes out to, 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 to bike them and, but, there has to be an element of luck in, in CCGs, right? That's part of the attraction. Um, you know, people like to tell the stories of, of, of when they got lucky, or they like to tell the stories of, of how they overcame the odds. Um, and and it is it is the random element in the CCG. And, uh, you know, if if all cards were, were uniformly powerful and all decks were, were uniformly powerful, it, actually, I think it would just kind of end up as this this super of not very interesting stuff, you know. So you, so you want things that, that tip the balance of games one way and the other, and, you know, luck comes in and plays its part in that. It's part of the excitement. Okay. Speaking about excitement, something you two seemed excited about last night, and we were excited to announce on the, the fourth episode of Strange Assembly, was the the War of Honor product. I know they're... It seemed to be have a, a nice multiplayer emphasis. Multiplayer has been something that gamers often like to have, but has, has up to now largely been, been lacking in Alpha Large just because of how the, the game works. Uh, so, I mean, what what aspects of War of Honor excite you guys the most? Um, well, like every without getting too in depth, every clan starts the game with tiles, and then you get to strategically place the tiles around to form the game board. So the game changes every single time. Uh, who you can attack, who can ally with you, who can ally with your opponents. This all changes every game from one to the next, and it can change even inside the game, depending on whether you attack your opponent's you know, base camp that's over here or you know whether you attack the one that's over there. Um, so I really like that element, and I like the fact that we've been able to keep the victory conditions of military, enlightenment, honor, dishonor, but at the same time revamp them, uh, which creates a lot of the problems that multiplayer had. Um, most, you know, the 40 honor, of you know, the typical guy A crosses 40, so guy B attacks him, everyone allies, they take out guy A and his army and his provinces. Now guy B gained 40 honor from killing his opponent, uh, army. So guy C takes out guy B and just the winner is whoever winds up 
falling into the lucky place on that chain. Um, so a lot of that's gone away. Um, so hopefully it'll it'll make multiplayer fun and it'll allow multiplayer allows for more broken cards because I mean even Lotus isn't the power level that Lotus is in multiplayer. Uh, you know, sure I can kill every guy you have on the board and discard your entire hand and come over and take all your promises, but there's three other guys now that are just going to come over and beat me. So uh, it just creates a new dynamic. Yeah, it, 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 it makes... We really think, and it was one of our intentions, but we really think it has, the, it has the potential to allow people to play with the older cards. You know, so some of the older cards that you've not played with before, we think, you know, we think there are going to be good formats and environments within uh, the, the War of Honor context. Um, I, I'm going to allow you to just dust those off and play with them again. That's going to be good. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the other thing that Brian's hit upon is I think the way we've structured the game brings a, a strategic dimension to multiplayer that wasn't there before. Um, in, in that it was, it was maybe too easy to be a kingmaker. Um, it, it's, it's not as, it's not as easy to do that in multiplayer now because of the way the game works. Um, if you're in the lead, you can at least do things and take actions to preserve your lead. Yeah, sure, you're always going to be a target, but that's true. That's true in any game where you've got more than two players, right? Any three or four or five player game, be it a board game or any other kind of strategy game, you know, uh, w one of the features of that is that you need to not look too much of a threat if other people can directly take you out. But certainly what War of Honor does is it creates an, it creates an environment where if you are leading, you can you can take things to preserve that lead. You can't just suddenly get jumped on very easily. Um, so I, you, you know, I, I'm very pleased with what we've done with with that product from that perspective. And I think it is going to breathe breathe new life into multiplayer. I think you know, and I think and I hope that you know, next Cote season when people are running alternative tournaments on on the Sunday for two day Cotes, you know, they they will run more of honor based tournaments and. You know things like that. So I, I think it will really create a lot of new opportunities and new ways for players to to both experience the game and maybe play with some of their older cards as well. I think it'd be a really cool tournament format to have War of Honor and Swiss multiplayer, and uh, the winner of each table goes on to a single elimination. Yeah, would be cool. Um, yeah. Uh, you mentioned playing with uh, broken Lotus Era cards, and one of the interesting things, despite your lower profile. Uh, Mark, you have been on the, you've been designing and developing L5R for longer than, than Brian has, and then went back into to Lotus. When when exactly did you come on board? Uh, the first, I think the first set I was involved in was uh, Dawn of the Empire. And then I think you took over, I think Lotus was... Your first project that you took over, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you were the Lotus lead designer. Yep, um, yeah. He's just that with a smile on his face. <laughs> Lotus, we, I, I, you know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Lotus, we, as a company, we, the decision was made that we wanted to ramp up the power level um, and to have a game that had more opportunities and combinations and. Uh, powerful combinations and, and really different kind of deck styles, and we succeeded in doing that. But I think 
Um, and you know, a, a lot of high-level players. I mean, Brian Brian will smile at me when when he talks about me doing Lotus, but he will also talk very fondly about how much he enjoyed playing in Lotus because I think a lot of the elite players really enjoyed you know some of the strong combos you could do and you know you could card draw into things and you could do all sorts of wacky stuff. Um, but I think what it what it did do with hindsight and hindsight's always twenty twenty is it took a, a away a little bit from that sense of a. Um, L5R being much more like a tabletop war game with cards, and it made it more like some of the other CCGs, you know, things like Magic and World of Warcraft, you know, where you, you sort of, where combo decks are recognised and um, enjoyed part of the game. But I think, actually, one of the things we learned from that was that the, uh, the, the enjoyment, I think, for L5R players is this sense of, of, a, of a tabletop kind of game. Um, and so, after Lotus, we, you know, with Samurai, we very much wanted to go back to that kind of field more because we felt that's what, the, you know, that's what the players generally enjoyed more. Well, but yeah, I've been around longer than him. Since I, yeah, since I, I don't, I, I think you aren't, Mark, aren't on the forums as much. I don't know if Brian noticed me say this, but since I said I would, would ask this on the the Strange Assembly forums. What were you guys thinking with Warrens of the One Tribe? I look at that card and it, and I, I mean, there are other things that are like, oh, there's there's power level and whatnot, but that's just one card to look at. Like, wh- why would you think that wouldn't be broken? Uh, and 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 since we haven't certainly since Samurai and Celestial, we don't see anything at all. Like, I mean, just that's that level of, of over the top anymore. So, I guess what happened with that and what what's done different now. That that, ha- that doesn't happen. I think it's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Brian. Just sits back. Now. <laughs> nice one. I, guess I, I mean, I think, I think to one, to, to some extent, I have, I, I've tried to answer that in, in saying that there's simply there was a there was a different design philosophy because you could you could you could in the context of what you're looking at now with what we're doing with Samurai and, and Celestial, you, you know, you could say that we're. Um, we just have a different design philosophy, but you, but you could, you know, you could, if we brought out Cold Wall now, you'd say, what, what were you thinking of? You know, if we, uh, if we brought out the Mantis Raiding, you'd say, well, you know, what were you thinking of? Um, because, you know, if we read Doji Sayori, people would say, what are you thinking of? Gazoku Sensei. You know, there's, there's a whole series, there's a whole series of things. And it was, it was fundamentally a different design philosophy. We, we, you know, in which we, we were trying to, we were trying to do something different with the game, and and um, I think I think it's really important. And we talked a little bit of this, about this last night and said that you know we we want to try and make the story in the next arc quite different and exciting. And I think um, not that it's not exciting now, but we want to make it a different paradigm and exciting. If you see what I mean, is you know we 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 want to change the way that people think about the story. Um, whilst retaining the elements that people really enjoy, and I, I think I think there is that thing that you shouldn't be frightened of trying something new. Right, the the, the day when in design or in the story that we tell, we get scared of of, of trying to do something new or creative for the players to enjoy. Is, is the day the game starts to, to completely stagnate. Um, and, you know, we still, we still innovate, we just innovate in different ways. I mean, I think we've probably been 
gone on the record and talked about how we do a lot more now with with keywords and themes and how that creates design space. Um, and uh, you know that, that that's that's really the story of Lotus. We were we were doing something different and creative and innovative. And it was, I mean, there were fantastic opportunities for 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 really kind of bizarre out there decks. Um, in, in Lotus Edition, which is what some players enjoyed and what we were designing for. So, I, you know, does that answer the question, what were we thinking? Um, yeah, I think so. We're back with the second section of the Strange Assembly interview with L5R CCG lead designer and lead developer Brian Reese and Mark Wooten. So let's get back in with another question that I think is something that only I care about, but uh, hopefully the listeners don't mind it too much. And that's the the design of Celestials. I, I guess from when I first saw them, at least, I kind of felt that many of the clan Celestials were a little too good for effects that were free. And in the Celestials that we've seen since then, they seem more geared towards a, a, the possibility of having two or, or three Celestials in your deck and bringing them out and then blowing them up to their effect and, and being able to do that. But that seems to be inhibited as a playstyle by the fact that people really don't like the idea of their really awesome, you know, clan Kami Celestial getting killed by Fire Dragon's guidance showing up. And, and I was wondering if you, it felt that that initial batch had, you know, inhibited the design of subsequent Celestials? Um, I mean, it certainly does to some degree. Um, you know, when we were coming out with the new card type, um, you know, we wanted to make sure we came out with the card type that was actually going to be interesting and people were going to want to play with and that, you know, want to come out and just have it sputter and nobody really cares about it. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's there's no question that the the commies are more powerful than uh, than the subsequent ones, um, and I think I I like the power level where we're at with the subsequent ones, and uh, it gives us some more room to play and do things and uh, create cards that interact with them. Um, I think what you do see sometimes is you see people who are prepared to play with two commies. Um, to two celestials of, of lesser power, so you know people maybe won't play, you know, with the Earth Dragon's Guidance if they're playing with their clan one, but you know they they may risk playing a couple of celestials of lesser power. Usually, a few decks that do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think going forward, you'll see. You probably won't see, at least for a while, celestials of the power level. Uh, of the original Night Tommy, and they'll, they'll just be more, uh, like where you see the dragons and, and the rest of them. Uh, that's a good power level. And one of the innate restrictions in them is that you can only have one in play, so that's sort of an extra cost factor built into it in some respect, is you only have one celestial slot, so to speak, uh, at any given time. Okay. Something else that I certainly don't complain about what other people have have asked about and apparently even now are continuing to ask about which is why I, I added this question is why in the batch of errata during Kote season when Central Castle and uh, Wrath of Kalimaga hit did the last step castle 
not get hit with the router? What was the deciding factor between you know between that and central castle? Um, well, I mean, a lot of times when we're uh, designing and making these decisions, um, we have to. I mean, we obviously have to listen to the feedback we're getting, but a lot of times we just sort of have to go with our gut and what we think is right. Um, and I think this is probably a good case where. Um, it was widely discussed, and a lot of people think that Last Up Castle made a rata and it was too powerful. And uh, people think we put out all the, you know, the automatic uh, blood war was for Last Up Castle, which it wasn't. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, but we, when we were making these decisions, you know, we were looking at it, and we felt the reality was that Last Up Castle was strong, and that if you weren't prepared for it, it was really going to, uh, you know, just run all over you, but that it was beatable. It was, you know, there were plenty of answers for it, and I think we kind of, I think the numbers sort of show that if you look at the Kotai season, initially, people weren't ready for it, and LSC just took up a ton of wins at the beginning of the Kotai season, um, and then people prepared for it, got ready for it, was testing Morgans, because if you remember before Kotai season, Almost across the board, Dragon Player said it was terrible uh, and unplayable due to determined force. Um, they just built up that, you know, oh, I can't, determined force is out, I can't play LSC. Um, not, you know, not going to test it. Um, but as people played it more and got used to it, started knowing what to do and what the right plays were, what the wrong plays were against an LSC deck, um, you saw the environment adjust and uh, a lot of times you'll hear me say, you know, I don't like to um, make calls or we'll see how it lands, you know, on the dust levels. And that's basically what happened with dust all the protest season. And let's see, picked up a couple more wins, but uh, really didn't do the domination it did when it just first came out the gates and caught people with the paint stand. Yeah, I remember, well, ultimately I like seeing my clan win tournaments and you know, get the going boys for the mega game. There was part of it that was a little sad those first two weekends because everybody had been kind of dismissing it and I thought I had a pretty good LSC deck and then everybody was prepared by the time I showed up to go back. Yeah, timing is everything. So here's a very specific question. Why is there a lion just a car in Empire at War? Uh, Kusumoto? Yeah. Um, that is somebody's character. Uh, Lon, I apologize, Lon, I don't know uh your last name. Um but he won a tournament and auction. Oh. Oh no no no. Well he he won a winner's choice and I thought that was the Justicar in Plague War. It well, was, but the art came back with a fem with female art, which wasn't what he wanted, so he got the credit and everything came to that. But to sort of make up for it, uh I know that uh, Sean, I mean, this is all stuff that Sean did for him, so I'm okay. speculating based on what I've heard from Sean. Or the story games, I don't know for sure from Sean. Um, but he came back as a female character, which isn't him. Um, so, you know, he got the credit on the card that he was owed, um, but in the Empire War, he, they, Sean went ahead and, you know, took care of the, uh, made it right, so to speak. Okay. Yeah, so somebody from his, his playgroup had said, oh, he won two turns, and I'm like, well, I don't think he won the second turn. But yeah, that, no, yeah, no. That, that, that makes sense. I, it was just that some of the, you know, Ice My Dragon 
bias showing, you know, from the Dragon Players look every time every time, you know, somebody comes out with a, a magistrate or a duelist or a kitsuki, you go, Oh well why doesn't this one have just a car? And then there was this random <laughs> second line of this from the Dragon Players like, What? The uh, the true answer we just hate we hate the Dragon Players and we love lions. If you hate <laughs> the dragon players, you are doing a really terrible job. Because we actually have multiple good decks. Yeah, well, uh, we just want everybody else to hate you the same as we do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's why that's, the, that's the plan, right? You know? You got the, you got the Empress, and now we're giving you all these good decks. Eventually, everyone's gonna really hate you. Well, Last Step Castle was a good way to do that, because if you're gonna have a, a good deck, and if you want to annoy people, having a good honor deck seems to be a good way to to do it, I I know it was ever it was ever thus. Believe me, it's, uh, <laughs> somebody who I said on the uh, L5 archives uh, panel thing last night, you know, started out playing Crane. Believe me, I know what it is to be hated. <laughs> yeah, well, I just even <laughs> remember back in uh, even more so than Last Step Castle a couple of years before that, when Ring Honor was the the best dragon deck. I uh, like the worst. You know, some people say, oh, I don't really like, I hate it that I have to play this, you know, this honor deck to win. The thing I hated most about that was having to listen to people kind of sigh at me whenever <laughs> I, I flipped up my struggle. I don't know, one of my favorite things in the Sam right now in Celestial is when you win with Enlightenment, you don't have to apologize for it anymore. <laughs> it's like one of the first times in the game, because it's always just been some broken, janky combo where you're exploiting rules, loopholes with finding the harmony or whatever it was and stuff. After you win with enlightenment, you felt that and finding, you apologized to your opponent. Finding the harmony was a, was a hellish difficult deck to win with. When I'm sure it was for you. Yeah, yeah, felt it, felt it when it came. When, when once the meta was out there, it, you, you you had to play really hard to win with it when the meta was out. But 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 it goes back to that. I mean, it's a little bit back to that discussion we had about Lotus, right? It was a combo deck, although it was hard and it was technically difficult to play, and you, had, you couldn't really make any mistakes. <laughs> People didn't like playing against it because it was a combo deck. Yeah. Mark only says this because one of his few pro titles came from playing a better deck, and he likes to relive the glory. No, no, no one um, pro titled with a proper deck. I want to co-tie with a crane on deck when everybody said it couldn't be done. Uh, what was the uh, the topic all the time about? Uh, you, that was the uh, when I was the Ruby Championship. the Ruby Championship. the Ruby Champion. Yeah, I enlightenment. Always struck me as something that has to be really hard to design for because it is a ultimately a five card instant win combo. On the other hand, you know, so if you make it too easy, that would get really frustrating for players. But you know, it definitely needs a lot of tools to actually get those exact five cards and meet those exact conditions, and in a way that's not impossible, or else the enlightenment players will feel like they're they're never going to be able to get anything. It's just part of the design dance that we do. Challenge. One keyword that kind of strikes me as, as odd is it, it carries something of a, I guess, a, a moral overtone to it is is the hero keyword. And while there are many keywords you could say this about, like, oh, well, every clan has commanders. Why does, you know, you know why do these particular clans have a commander theme? You know, everybody else has got an army. But I always... The hero keyword seemed a little different than it seemed a little weird to say, like, okay, well, you guys are heroes, and, and maybe some of you guys too, but eh, no, no, nobody else has, has heroes. Is that just a, am I entirely alone in the world? Or not? It's, I, th I think the point about heroes is it's about the psyche, it's about the sort of clan psyche rather than saying, you know, yeah, you guys have heroes and you don't. So, you know, 
you know, you can make the case if you look at clowns like the crab or the lion, um, you know, they're, they're sort of very militaristic background, they're, they're, um, how the, the strength of heroic defeats formed on the, on the battlefield is so important to them. Um, you, you know, clans that have that sort of um, psyche are, are the ones that get the keywords. And, and you're right. I mean, it's not that, that most of the keywords don't exist in all the clans. I mean, all the clans have courtiers, right? Pretty much all the clans are going to have artisans. You, you know, the list would the, the list would go on, but but it's about it's about. I think the keywords we try to tap into the sort of psyche of the different clans and and come up and, and come up with and use keywords that that would would be particularly strongly revered or you know strongly identified with with the way that clan thinks about itself and the way it performs on the battlefield or in the courts or you know in terms of dealing out or dispensing justice or, or whatever it is. On the flip side of, of hero is villain, which seems to be one of the more popular non-theme but not unique keywords. I mean, a unique keyword, just you know, yeah. some random thing that's on one guy. Uh, you know, it's come up a couple times in Winner's Choices. It always gets snapped up right away. Uh, you had Kazanori, who was a hero and a villain. Have you ever thought about mechanically supporting the, the villain keyword? Maybe not on, on a theme level, but... Um, ooh, like an alchemist or uh, type thing where it's not a theme. Um, yeah, I mean, we've looked at different keywords, uh, what to do uh, with them if we decided to implement them, because there will come a time when the current keywords and themes are going to be old and boring, we'll have to shake it up. And Villain um, hasn't been on that list yet, but that doesn't preclude yeah, it. But it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, write that down. Yeah, it doesn't preclude it. Um, I don't know, I think villain's kind of like hero. I agree with you a bit to some extent with the hero thing. And that when you see it all the time, it, it, it kind of loses um, its impact. It's like, oh, okay, well, hero, being a hero is nothing special. Eat a Bob over there is a hero. You know, oh, look, this guy's a hero too. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, <laughs> If you give this guy these war drums, he becomes a pro. Uh. But it's it's equally it's difficult mechanically to 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 deal with it. Yeah. It's very sporadic. I mean, you know, keep yeah. And I'm, you know, I mean, if I'm, you've got three unique heroes in the clan playing playing cards that you know affect heroes, is not going to be. Feasible. And on the flip side, villain for the same reason. Mm -hmm. um, it's cool. I mean, like everybody loves a villain. Uh, it's it's just one of those things. The more you do it, the less cool it gets. Um, so I wouldn't expect villain to probably start getting uh, cards for villain and things like that. But we might do a fun one every once in a while. But, you know, target your villain and wax his handlebar mustache and <laughs> put a woman tied up on a train or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If he has a cape, he escapes. You know, <laughs> that's that's getting a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You can see why I got the job right. <laughs> Guy's a phenomenon. <laughs> I, I, yes, you I, can also I, tell which cars he designed. Yeah. <laughs> Use it all the way. Yeah. Um, well, I, earlier I, I, I mentioned a, a question I had said I was going to ask of, of Mark on the, the Strange Assembly forums, which is the one about uh, Warrens of the One Tribe. And what I said I was going to ask you about, Brian, was. 
Celestial is at a, at least it seems to me, at a very high, not very high, but a relatively high power level for, you know, the individual cards. And whether or not that was something that you wanted to continue on into the next arc, or if for the next arc it was going to be another effort to try to pull, rein some of that back in. Um, well, I mean, at the start of every arc, we definitely do that. Uh, and if you think of the power level on just a scale of 0 to 10, you know, we try arcs start out 3, 4, somewhere in there. And then as you get more cards and your decks become, you know, more f uh, f f power level, I should say, your deck, not specific cards. Um, and as you get more cards, your deck, you know, goes from a 3 to a 4 to a 5 to 6. So at the end of the arc, you know, hopefully if we've done our job, it's really no higher than a 7, maybe an 8 at the max. Um, and then once the card pool uh, cycles out and we pick what's you know, we aim to try to go back to that lower end again. Uh, so I feel like, you know, Mike, it's been uh, over a year now, but remember at the beginning of Celestial, it was kind of a, a jarring thing for some players to go from the power level to the Samurai, uh, which, you know, wasn't too high, it would probably be about a 7, uh, back to the beginning of Celestial, which was, you know, in that 3-4 range. Um, well, see, I, I thought that the Celestial felt like it started off, I mean, relatively higher than something like that Samurai had, in that I, I know that when I first looked at Celestial, I remember thinking, looking at Daigatsu and, and his ability, thinking, oh my god, that's that's so... Crazy good, and it ended up just being that all the the small guys were so fast and so good that you know some fifteen gold spider rare wasn't gonna uh, you know doesn't wouldn't even get played in the their decks, and so it, I guess it seemed like Celestial had it started off a, a little bit higher than I guess my ideal, which doesn't mean my ideal is of any sure. playing. I, I think I think you. I think one of the things we said about Celestial. Um, Arguably, one of the things we got wrong and tried to fix is I think when we introduced uh, border keeping bamboo harvesters, we hadn't spotted all of the indications that starting with those two holdings or one of those two holdings in play would have. And you saw a, a couple of decks that, you know, early on that particularly thrived because of that, which was the Phoenix, the Phoenix deck and the, um, the spider goblins, um, but 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 I think Ryan's right. With the, with the exception of that, I, I think I think it was it was quite a reset compared to some of the power levels. Summer. It's also important to make the distinguish from parallel of cards to parallel of decks. Mm -hmm. So while you did have you know if you look at Daigatsu, um, you know he's definitely uh, has a pretty scary ability on him. Uh, but when you look at the spider deck that he's in. Um, you know, being a Celestial, that wasn't a very high power level deck. Um, and Spider was plenty good, but it was just, you know, it was still the beginning of the arc and the tools just weren't all there for it. Um, so, you know, it, it, we, we, we do plan on doing that, uh, scaled back again. And we'll, we'll look at Samurai, we'll look at Celestial, we'll, we'll look at Lotus and see what we did right and what we did wrong in those sets and, uh, adjust accordingly. You know, if we feel that, uh, some of the higher power uniques like a Kuan or whatever. Um, was a mistake, then, you know, we'll look and reevaluate that and, 
Um, yeah, it is going to tone down at when the uh, next arc begins. Since we're we're talking about the the transition there, I guess this is sort of a one of those annoying exercises in uh, self analysis that I'm asking for. At this stage in Celestial, as you, I mean, when you last night on the the L5 archive Q and A, you talked about how you spent a couple of months now, or a few months, I don't remember what the exact phraseology was, working on what the next arc is going to be. Is there anything in particular that you have looked at about Celestial and said, this is something that we want to do differently or that we want to do better as, as you go to that next arc? Um, yeah, uh, the themes. Um, I think the connotation of primary, well, primary, secondary, or major, minor, um, has given a false idea of what we expected out of those themes. And basically, what happened was they started out the secondary themes with a little bit less support than the primary themes. And usually they didn't have a stronghold that supported them as well as the primary. Um, but our goal was to introduce stuff pretty much all at the same level. Um, and we were aware that it's very possible for um, secondary themes to, you know, such as goblins, to, uh, you know, become better than primary themes in some case. Uh, but it seems as if, you know, the connotation that goes along with primary, secondary, or major and minor makes people think that the fact that your best deck is a secondary theme means that there's something wrong with the design or there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, LSC is a great example of that because the Magistrate Honor is one of your guys' secondary themes, but it was uh, arguably your best deck. I mean, it's definitely better than Kent's side. It uh, was better than Kent's side, but in fact, we'll not change that. Um, and that seemed to be some topic of discussion and some sort of failure on our part. Uh, so, we're redoing how we present the themes. Um, we're also redoing the theme themselves. Uh, some will change, some will stay the same. Um, keep the clan shaking. Uh, keep the clan, you know, you gotta keep things new and fresh. Um, but, I think most, I think most clans will be more diverse. Um, in terms of what they can do at yeah. the start of the next arc, or as as part of their development at the next arc, I think that's that's something we're going for, right? I mean, yeah. um, you know, you look at something like Crab, and thematically, Crab has well, a series of different ways to smash you in the face, <laughs> um, and I think you know what 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 we're really going to go for is that that there will be much more diversity in terms of the way each clan will do things. So players will have a, a greater degree of choice in terms of the way they set about playing the game. Um, so I think that's going to be a feature of the of the next arc. Um, and Brian's right. I mean, the, the, just the, just the way we present it, even because second primary and secondary was really only intended to to be a kind of rough assessment of where we thought things would be at the start of the arc. And you know, we accepted that. We weren't necessarily going to be absolutely right about that, but it was never it was never intended as a sense of you know, this this is this these two things are always going to be better than these two things. 
Yeah, it wasn't a scale to gauge. It, it, yeah, it, it wasn't about saying, you know, if ever this thing's better than the other, then we've done something wrong. But at least that's what we hadn't intended. But I think that's maybe what people read into it. Uh, so. Uh, so this was also the first time we really, really dug into the theme. So um, we've learned. Uh, we've learned some things uh, that's going to help a lot for the next edition. Okay, well, I have another question about the next edition. So just to see how many times I can tempt the we can't talk about that <laughs> answer. Uh, Oh, there are, Story's not here, I can say whatever. <laughs> well, there, there are many things that, uh, you know, I guess potentially could change with the positioning of the clans based on the mega game results, but obviously the, the biggest one is the Spider Clan, which, depending on the results, could have a, you know, Spider Clan is a real great clan now versus Spider Clan is disbanded, you know, depending on what their donations are. For the Empire or Jigoku, and that seems like it would have a very different implementation in the card game, depending on what result that is. But we mm -hmm. don't know what the result is for for months and months. Mm -hmm. How how are you guys dealing with that design challenge, if it is a challenge? No, it definitely is. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, basically, we have to. Uh, I mean, we have to design them and make sure we have a good backup plan. Uh, in place in case things don't go the way we think that they're going to go. Um, so, I mean, we sort of have to double design them in a way um, and just be prepared for either case scenario. I mean, that, that's keep, one of the... Keep uh, an eye on the results as they're coming in. Yeah. Try and design the way it looks like things going in. And if things are, uh, if, if things are changed, make sure you've got alternatives there ready and that you're testing them. That's uh, one of the uh, joys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> having... Uh, uh, a card game that is so influenced by the story, uh, or by the players rather, uh, well by the story which is influenced by the players is yeah, you get things like this, I don't think Magic really has to worry when they're doing their next, uh, you know, their next edition um, about <laughs> what the players are going to allow them to design. Well, so if you're, if you're basing design on what the current results is, that would mean that right now you're mostly looking at them being a clan because the Empire is so far ahead so if we can have a little extra incentive for the Jogoku players, not only can they get the story result they want, but they can throw the design team into, into chaos. chaos. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or we expect Andrew Ornatov to win everything, <laughs> and, and that he's going to single-handedly disband the spider <laughs> And that's what we're preparing well, for. Well, I, I, unfortunately, I, I, even, if, even if Andrew wins Gen Con and Eurochamps, he needs help. Uh, from other other Jigoku Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not we're not assuming anything just yet, right? I mean, when we say we look at what the current position is, that doesn't mean that we we're kind of designing and saying, oh, well, this is what the score is at the moment, so on we go. <laughs> you know, we um, we're aware that there are a number of possible options, and we know what those options mean in design terms. So we're we're um, you know we're looking at all the possibilities. Before you know, that's that seems like enough. Uh asking about cards that don't uh, exist yet. I wanted to take it back to something that's been in the, the set the sets so far. With with Play War and then seeing the I'm blanking on his name, but the the new one of the Phoenix experience personalities whose ability is a built in sneak attack. It, it seems like there are a lot more options in the Celestial Edition for the attacker to be able to take the first battle action. You know, instead of just Sneak attack and naval with like this one Phoenix guy outside. You know who, who does that? Was that a, a deliberate design choice? Did it just come about based on what you know what the different ideas that 
you know, well, the, there's more options for certain decks that we feel need it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, well. it's sort of a little A, little B. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's now Sneak, uh, there's the Ninja Sneak, there's definitely Aura, uh, you got Naval, you got the one unique, but, yeah, there's one unique. Um, so, yeah, there certainly are more options, but it's not like one deck can really I mean, the most you can really get out, I guess, probably be seven, realistically, by getting more Hiko. Uh, maybe a naval guy or two, and a Phoenix deck with three Deathly Wars and three Sneak Attacks. Um, but, you know, the reality is that it just makes Reinforce the Gates that much of a stronger card. I mean, it's, it can be crippling to have, uh, you know, your first action Reinforce the Gates if you Sneak Duel and they Reinforce the Gates. Uh, I mean, that's huge. That's a massive action they were able to just cancel it, so. It must be quite crippling to have too many actions that allow you to take the first action and not actions to do <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and there's this sort of built-in, um, balancer. And like, you know, if you run three sneak attack and three deathly auras, you're gonna get those opening draws where you have four sneaks in your hand and nothing <laughs> to do with them. Didn't I just say that? Oh, he, said it, he said it in a vague way. Oh, so was that a translation of the... Uh, he said it in a vague way. Oh, okay. Just say, yeah, it's all here. Just yeah. extrapolated the point. Oh, your thank point. you. Just clarified it for everybody. Yes. Okay, well, you've just spent over an hour listening to my pestering questions, and you get pestered by questions all the time on the forum, so is there any, uh, is there anything unprompted that, that, anything that you wanted to, to communicate out there that I'm not asking about or something you want to to ask the players to, to think about, like we're always asking you to, um, to pay attention to. I haven't already really gone over. The one thing I'm curious about, where does Daramir come from? How do you get that? Well, I made it up at some point when I was in high school That's it, as an email address. I have no earthly clue where I came up with that word. <laughs> and if I went back now, I would have some more sensible handle, but I've just been using it too long, and I, I, even if I went into the AEG board, don't let you change your, well, at least they don't let normal users uh, change their handle, so I, I couldn't. I'm not sure even if we can. Oh, well, I just, I, 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 yeah, I, I can't, not, I have no idea yeah. what the moderator and, uh. Yeah, I'm not positive much admin's thing on them. But, uh, okay, I, I was just curious. Yeah, I, I wish I had a better story, <laughs> but I don't. I thought it was going to be really cool. I, no, no, it's not. That was kind of a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One big question we wanted to ask before yeah. we came in, and that's the answer we get. I, I am sure, yes, I, I'm sure that it was a, a, a burning curiosity that we consume your every weekend thought. Alright, well, thanks for sitting down to do the interview with us. Thank you. That's it for the second of two Strange Assembly interviews from Gen Con 2010. The first interview, in case you missed it, was with Nicola Bonjou and three members of the story team and is episode five. The episode in between number six was a normal one. Next time with episode eight, we'll also be back to our regular format. If you liked what you heard today, you can subscribe on iTunes or our XML feed at strangeassembly.com. 
Also, at strangeassembly.com, we have a forum where you can come on and comment on what you just heard on the show and what you'd like to hear on future shows. Brian Rees does look at the forum, so if you had any comments or questions for him about the contents of this interview, you might want to come and post them there as well. If forums aren't your thing, you can also email us directly at strangeassembly at gmail.com. Until then, you can bite my shiny metal... Oh, yeah, we have a clean tag for iTunes. This episode of Strange Assembly was brought to you by the letter D, the letter T, and the number 42.